Well, 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 friends. Who loves you so much that she's snuck in another bonus episode before season four? This girl right here. I'll keep the intro short because really, I just want to jump in with this quick reminder that I have been carrying around for about two months. I've been teaching a series at the Father's House Orange County for the last eight weeks, and honestly, it's changing our church. What's been seared in my mind is that we are people who are marked for purpose because we have power and authority in Jesus Christ. Now, I get it. Not everyone who listens to this podcast is a Christian or self-identifies as a Christian, but just bear with me on this one. Do me a favor. Stick around for about 30 minutes because this teaching was the first installment out of a series that we just started, and I really wanted to share it with you. This episode, there's no bells, there's no whistles, there's no interviews or giveaways. I just wanted to share this message with you as a reminder. You are loved by me and marked by God. We've entitled this series, Marked, because I firmly believe, as I said earlier, that we are marked with purpose and that God has given us power. And if you want some theology to back this up, on the screen is Exodus 13, 16, and it says this, this ceremony will be like a mark branded on your hand and on your forehead, and it is a reminder of the power of the Lord's mighty hand that brought us out of Egypt. Well, what was Egypt? Egypt was slavery for the Hebrew people. Guess what? You are marked, and this marking is a reminder that our God is mighty and powerful, that he can rescue us from any chain, any bondage, and any sin of slavery. Amen? Now, some of you guys are still, well, that's Old Testament theology. Great. Let me take you to New Testament theology. Revelation 22.4 says this, and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. Come on. Somebody say marked. Somebody please say with some flavor and some conviction, I am marked. Go ahead and pull out your Bible and your notebook and jot down the title of this message, which is marked for power. Mark for power. Now, um, how many people are named Mark in the video experience online in this room? Raise your hand if your name is Mark. Great. There was one Mark and first service. Great. Guess what? Mark is a very common name, but I'm going to dare to say that I believe it's a common word. We just don't really pay attention to it, but I want us to really understand, oh, wait a minute. I am marked and it's good. Well, just take a look at like common nomenclature and idioms within uh, American English or even proper English. X marks the spot. On your mark, Uh, mark him down, mark her up, mark it off. You've missed the mark. Or my favorite, my favorite, you are a marked man. You're a marked woman. What what does that mean? Okay, here's the definition of a marked person. When when this this word is used in context, it means a person who has been singled out because they have witnessed or participated in something that has aroused disruption and caused disruption in a perceived order. Someone who has witnessed or participated in something that has caused disruption in perceived order. Now, I I, I may live in Orange County, but I'm an L.A. girl, ride or die, okay? Like, you can take the girl out the hood, but you can't take the hood out the girl, all right? I love L.A., and I'm a fan of L.A. sports teams. I was raised watching the Lakers, and I already told Matthew, line item budget, with the new lineup for the Lakers, I told him, I said, you got to start saving money for me because I don't want those cheap seats. No, I won't be like on the floor in the name of Jesus. If anyone has a hookup, hook your girl up, okay? 
Well, one of the greatest, arguably one of the greatest players in all of NBA history is a man by the name of Kobe Bryant. And um, what this man did, his work ethic, yes, his skill and talent was great, but his work ethic is the thing that I admire most about him. He said as a kid, when most kids were playing recreational sports, they'd practice for one hour. When they got to about junior high, um, the dedicated kids were practicing about an hour every day. And he said, I, since I was a kid, was practicing multiple hours, multiple times a day. So when he got to the professional league, people didn't know how to guard him. He was making moves all over the place. In fact, you had to keep your eye on Kobe because if you let up on Kobe for just one quarter, you'd lose the game. Many times he was double team, triple team. People were, uh, people were cautious and they knew, wait a minute, he is a marked man. He caused disruption to the perceived order. So the question I'm asking you is just like Kobe, you are marked. And you're like, no, I'm not. I'm not like Kobe. Well, I don't know. The enemy thinks that you are. And you're very comfortable sitting and riding the pine, you know, eating your sunflower seeds and sipping your water with your cute uniform and your non-sweat. Look, well, let me tell you something. The enemy views you differently. The enemy knows that you are a marked person. And the moment that you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm a marked person. I'm called with passion and purpose that there's destiny and calling in my life. The moment that you realize that, <laughs> everything changes. And some of you guys are here sitting like in thinking, wait, so am I going to be an NBA player or am I going to be president? I'm going to be a pastor. I don't know. Probably not. But what I do know is that you are marked in your marriages. You are marked in your cubicles. You are marked on your campuses. That the enemy knows that there is a plan for your life. And he has his minions double teaming you. They're afraid of the moves that you don't even know that you can have. When you start putting the work and you start walking in your, in your identity, your true identity, your marked identity. Okay? Now each one of us has a divine calling. Each one of us has a divine calling, and you might be sitting here thinking, that's not for me. You've listened to the lie of the enemy for far too long. Let me tell you, child of God, you are marked. You're marked in your marriages, in your businesses, in your college campuses, in your singleness, in your dreams. You are marked. I've come to tell you that when you know who Jesus is, it changes who you are. Now, with that introduction, I want you to pull out your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Now, I want to geek out, and I want to tell you about all the things in Mark chapter 1, but we don't have time because, you know, there's a time constraint, and y'all get hungry. You start coming with your mean, mugging faces like, when's she going to be done? When I feel like it. Okay. Mark chapter 1, verse 21 says this. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue, which is like their church. And he began to teach. Uh, the people were amazed at his, what church? At his teaching, yes. Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed with an impure spirit cried out and said, What do you want to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, Shut up. <laughs> literally, literally, it's another a translation. I'll get into that in a second. I just love Jesus. Like a G. Shut up. <laughs> Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? This, this? this new teaching and with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. What? News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. See, when you witness or you participate the all-powerful nature of the one true God, you're a marked person. We saw that right here. People encountered something that they hadn't encountered before. They witnessed it. They participated in it. 
And we're going to go through this book. We're going to go through this book, the book of Mark, chapter by chapter each, each week. I'm very excited about this. And Matt's like, are you sure that people are going to do homework? Side note, you have homework. And I said, yes, babe, they're going to do homework. He said, are you sure? I said, I'm going to make them fall in love with the word of God because it's like eating. You know, you develop an appetite for it where you just can't wait. And you're like, oh, I don't have time. And you got time to watch trash on Netflix. You got time to read the word of God. And this is like bare bones basic, okay? Give me five minutes. Give me five minutes five days a week. That's it. You got five minutes. Do it on the toilet. I don't care. Five minutes, five days a week. And your chat, your homework is to read the chapter before the following week. This week we're in chapter one. You guys get a free, a freebie, a funsy, because I'm going to distill it for us. It's like the Cliff Notes version. Next week, week two, what chapter are you going to read? But say it with some enthusiasm like you're excited. What chapter? Yes. Okay. The reason why we have chosen Mark as the book that we're going to be going through is because Mark has a radical way of explaining the supernatural power of the, of the life and times of Jesus Christ. And not only that, that not only that Jesus had power, but that we have power because Jesus is in us. So the best way that I can kind of like break this down is that this is kind of like a DC Marvel hero movie, right? Where things just explode and then hero comes to save the day and everything ends perfectly and on time. That's, that's like the book of Mark. Uh, compared to the other gospels, Mark is unlike them because he really emphasizes and impacts the power of Jesus and the power that we possess as disciples. It is the shortest of all the gospels. And, uh, you know, Mark's kind of like, I'll give you just the bullet points, man. All right, here we go. Here's what you know about Jesus. And this is what it means for your life. And that is like Matt's love language. Just don't give me details. You know, Matthew, Matthew is interesting because Matthew, it, he, he gives us details and includes like wardrobe changes and weather patterns. And I'm all about it. Like, give me all the details. And Matt's like, just the bullet points. So if you are a bullet point person, Matthew is the book for you. His language is strong and compelling. It's action forward. It's moving. You're going to see this time and time again. Well, why? Theologians document that this book was intended for a Roman audience. And um, there was a Roman audience that was highly influenced with power and authority. Now, this book was super important because during that time, there was persecution of the early church. This was around the time in 62 to 64 AD that Nero, Emperor Nero was in charge, and he blamed the Christians for lighting up the city of Rome, for causing a fire in the city of Rome. They were facing severe persecution. So Mark was writing to them and said, pick your chin up, buck up, buttercup. You have power. You have authority because that's the God that we serve. And that's the message I want to bring to the house today. You have power. You have authority. I'm so tired of seeing Christians hang their head down low. Oh, I don't know. I'm a victim of circumstance. Pick your head up, child of God. You got the spirit of God in you. Don't wear those labels. Don't wear those titles. You're anointed. Now, ah, baby boo, you, you, you marked. Ooh, I see it on you. You are marked by God. Now, the book of Mark is all dealing with power and authority, but not from an earthly standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint. And that was a central theme of this book, the urgency that Mark wants to get across. Guess what? He uses the word immediately 40 times, 40 times in this one book. In chapter one, remember, you guys didn't, you guys didn't read it yet, so I'm gonna give you a little, a moosh boosh, a little, a little glimpse into it. He says these words, immediately, Suddenly, at once, and without delay, he uses them five times in one chapter. He's like, the facts, ma'am, just the facts. So the first half of the book is establishing the authority of Jesus. And then the second part of the book is establishing his power and his mission. Why? 
Mark drives home this idea of power and authority that Christ possesses and that Christ is giving us. Jesus gave you power and authority to do what God has called you to do. And Jesus is not just going to preach about it. No, he's going to demonstrate it. And that's what I want for this house, friends. That's what I want, not just for this house. That's what I want for you. I want you to know that you are marked and that you have power to do what God's called you to do. I want you to know his authority. I want you to see his power. And I want you to apply that to your life. Because when you know who Jesus is, it changes who you are. Now, what I'm um, challenging us for us to do in this series is to understand that we are marked for purpose. We're marked for purpose. And that's really hard for us because we understand labels. But I don't want you to think that I'm talking about labels here. I'm actually talking about you are marked. You are embossed. You have been chosen by God for a particular task and plan here on this earth. Your life has purpose. And we understand labels. I'm not talking about labels. But to give you an appetizer of chapter one, let's talk about labels. Because there's some characters here that were labeled. But then we're going to see they weren't labeled. They were marked with power and purpose and potential. Uh, If you might be familiar with John the Baptist, in in Mark chapter 1, verse 18, John the Baptist, he was labeled insane. He was labeled crazy. I mean, who is this psycho that's going out to the desert? He's wearing camel skin, and he's eating locusts dipped in wild honey, and he has long hair, and he's shouting this crazy message. And he said this in Mark chapter 1, 18, I baptize you with water. Oh, but there is one who is coming, and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He was labeled crazy. What about, what about Peter, Andrew, James, and John? We read about their story in Mark chapter 1. You guys, they were fishermen. And for us, we're like, okay, cool. Vandy camp, fishermen. All right, we got that. No, 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 no. You need to understand that fishermen were the base of society. They would be akin. They would be alike. They would be similar to pickers of our day. Those that are in Bakersfield or Fresno, Sacramento, they're picking grapes. They're picking potatoes. They're picking onions. They're picking garlic. They were the pickers of the day. Y'all, they were around fish 24-7. Well, 24-6 because they had one day off for Sabbath. So they were on fish all the time. They smelled. And yet Jesus, the rabbi, chose them. And he says this in Mark 1:17: Come follow me and I will have you fish for men. They were labeled. They were labeled the outsider, the low class, the poor, the people that would be like selling oranges or flowers at the end of the freeway. Yeah, those are the disciples. (laughs) What about Peter's mother-in-law? She was old. She had a fever. She was dying. People would have easily written her off and put her in a convalescent home. What about, what about, as we see in Mark chapter one, and we'll learn about today, a man who is demon possessed, didn't want to be, people would not want to be around this person, ostracized and awkward. What about the leper? When we talk about leper, I want us to go into the pages of scripture. Because just in this chapter, those characters that we are going to encounter and they were going to meet, their identity was different and they definitely would have been labeled because a leopard was someone with a skin disorder. And some of the most severest cases, your extremities, your phalanges, your fingers and your toes would fall off and your arms would fall off and you would die nubless. It was so contagious perceived in that time that you had to be 50 meters away from somebody and you had to wear distinguishing clothes, tattered clothes so that even if people couldn't hear you shout that you were coming, they could see that you were unclean. And just in case I was within proximity of anyone 50 meters, I'd have to yell, unclean, 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 unclean. I couldn't be around family members. I couldn't come to the church. 
I couldn't hang out with society. And yet, each one of those people encountered Jesus and their life was radically changed because John the Baptist became the greatest heralder of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the disciples, the fishermen, the pickers, yeah, those people, they became students of Jesus and they became world changers. And Peter's mom, she was healed and she became the chef de cuisine for Jesus and disciples because she started cooking them food. That's what's up. She's like, you want some Hebrew tacos? I got you. Thank you for giving me life. This crazy, insane man, we're going to find out soon that he gets his mind back, praise God, and the leopard is healed. And what does he do? He becomes an evangelist. Because when you encounter Jesus, it changes who you are. See, but we love that. We love that. I'm marked. I'm so marked. There's plan and purpose in my life. But I need to warn you that that's going to come with some action. Because when the Lord radically touches your life, you can't help but be moved. In other words, he's calling you into your calling and calling you out of your comfort. The last two weeks here at TFHOC, we did a series called Called. Matt, last week taught, uh, he did both parts of the series, and I was so wrecked at last week's message because it made me really question, what is my calling? God, what have you called me to? I don't want to be so caught up in the minutia that I think, oh, no, this is it. Yep, that's it. All right, good. We're done. Oh, I'm holy. Yep, this is what we're going to do. No, no, no. God, what do you have for me? Because if he's calling me into something, I'm going to have to shake off my comfort. Now, as we kick off the Mark series, I want to be really clear about the role of Christ in our life. So because of Sunday school and vacation Bible school, if you've been around church, you have a very loving and kind picture of Jesus, which is very true, which is very true. But I think sometimes we might confuse that and think, oh, well, Christ has came to give me comfort. I think that's a secondary or tertiary product of what Jesus came to do, but that's not his primary. See, the Holy Spirit is referred to as his comforter. The Holy Spirit comforts, but Jesus didn't come to comfort. Jesus came to confront he came to confront sin and structures that separated us from the true God. So to find your calling, you're going to have to forsake comfort. And you cannot have a divine calling without discomfort. There's so much that I want to unpack in this, in, in this chapter. So we're going to have to do it as simply and as quickly as possible. Turn with me to verse 21. We're going to read that again. When they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. So when we pronounce Capernaum, we call it Capernaum. But since you Gentiles don't know Hebrew, and remember, I am 1% Jew, I may teach you the correct way to say this city's name. And you're going to repeat after me. Repeat after me. Say Kefir. Nahum. Now, you didn't get the in there. Okay, let's do that again. Say Kefir. Nahum. Kefir means village, and Nahum means comfort. So this is the village of comfort. So Jesus goes to the village of comfort. He rolls into the synagogue, a.k.a. the church, and he begins to teach. Look at verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So here he is, this guest teacher. He's an itinerant teacher that comes in, and he begins to open up the Torah. He begins to teach them the word of God, and they are shook. They are looking at this man. They're like, I have heard these verses before, but coming from the lips of this man, I cannot believe. This man is anointed. He is dripping with authority. Who is this man? Now, have you ever sat under teaching like that where you could have read the verse yourself or you could have heard a passage taught one way and then you hear it a different way and you're like, oh my gosh, that, I never saw it like that. That's what is happening here. 
Um, people will argue with me, but I actually think that teaching is a supernatural gift. I really do. Um, because we've all sat under some pretty boring teachers. And then we've had some teachers that like, they'll teach you about an apple and you're like shook. Like, no way. This is this moment with Jesus. And I want you to hold on to that whoa moment. Because you all probably had a whoa moment in church when you heard the word and you were like, whoa. That's this whoa moment right here. People were beginning to um, hear this and they loved talking about it. But then they got a little uh, freaked out when they had to watch something happen. Look at verse 23. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us? Notice the plurality. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I read this passage this week, and I, I think I've always read this through the lens of fear. Like, what would I do if, you know, someone demon-possessed was rolling up to church, and I'd be like, ah, get behind me, Satan. But I read this differently this time because my heart went out to him. Can you imagine your voice being taken from you? Can you imagine the oppression of not one, multiple demons? Because it said, what do you want with us? Now, I want to pause on the, the, the topic of demon possession because... That deserves an entire series all by itself. Today, we're not going to talk about demon possession. There will be a series on angels and demons, and I will let Matt talk about that. Praise God. All right. He'll get the hard stuff. But I don't want us to get sidetracked by demon possession. It's a very real thing. I do believe in it, and we'll talk about it another time because I think it's really important that we understand spiritual warfare. But I don't want to get sidetracked by that today. What I want to do is instead focus on the power of Jesus to heal this man. So they were down for the proclamation because Jesus was teaching. They were down for the explanation of Jesus' teaching, but they tripped out at the demonstration. Look at this. Who is this man with power to cast out demons? The greatest proclamation of the gospel isn't explanation, it's demonstration. And you, you child of God who are marked, you marked son, you marked daughter, guess what? You can know the Bible verses. You could have gone to vacation Bible school. You could have gone to seminary. You can know Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. But if you are still walking around with a stank face, mean mugging, acting like a Pharisee, what does it matter? I don't care if you know more about theology than I do. If you're going to be super judgmental in a seat and sit in a seat of self-righteousness, what does that matter? Now, as someone who maybe has heard a message about being marked or being called, I think sometimes it's easy for us to be prone to say, oh, they are called. They are marked. Maybe you can look at Matt and say, oh, yeah, well, Pastor Matt is a pastor. He, Pastor Matt is a leader. Oh, Bianca, yeah, she's a preacher. No, 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 no. Child of God, let's set the record straight. Do you know that you're a preacher? Do you know that you're a teacher? Do you know that you're an evangelist? Do you know that you can be apostolic? Yes, you can. This is the how, this is the how question. You might be sitting here thinking, no, I'm not. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. Yes, you are by the life that you live. St. Augustine said, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Please hear me say, I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't matter. You guys, I'm a word nerd. I love the word of God. I gave y'all homework. Okay, that's how much I love the word of God. But what I'm saying is sometimes we have made the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And we have put such an emphasis on like, I know how to parse out scripture. Yeah, but you're mean. What does it matter? 
Uh, Matt and I, there's this restaurant down the street. It's called Bridge Hop House. Matt and I like going there. We told our friends Joel and Asia about it. Well, some of you guys might not might know Joel and Asia. Asia was the one who led beautifully during worship today. And Joel is her husband. He does all the AVL and the lighting and everything for church. And they went to the restaurant. They loved it. They ended up planning a party for their family. And they all had a family party there. Well, there was um, someone who was waiting on them, uh, a young guy who by the end of the night was just like, yo, you guys are awesome. I love your energy. This is such a great vibe. What do you guys do? And Joel's like, yeah, we go to the church right down the street called the Father's House here on Birch Street. And you should come. Well, this young guy by the name of Mario actually came to church. Yes, Mario, yes. He actually came to church. And guess what? He hasn't left. Not only has Mario stayed here every single week, he's now leading on the photography team. I mean, that's what's up. That's how we're supposed to live our life. Did Joel in Asia pull out their Bible and say, well, brother, in John 3, 16, the spirit of the living God. No, they were good people. They lived a life that preached and demonstrated the gospel by showing the goodness, the kindness, the love, and the mercy, the deference of Jesus Christ. Come on. Jesus wanted to confront the system of the Jews, but it was more than just proclamation. It was a demonstration. Look at verse 24. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Verse 25. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with the shriek. So let's pause on this detail. This demon-possessed man sat in church and nobody noticed it. I don't want that to be lost on us. I go into asking questions like, how long had that man been attending church and nobody knew? How long had he been going to that synagogue and he didn't know what he was walking in with? How many of us show up to church unaware of the things that torment us, that plague us, or that we've opened up our hearts and our minds to? In the same way that Jesus met this man on that day, I firmly believe that God will meet so many of us in the same way today to experience a new sense of freedom. Because I want you to notice, scripture didn't include any strenuous activity. Jesus, when he saw the man and the man was like, I know who you are. Scripture doesn't say that he responded with, thus saith the Lord, heavens open, lightning falls, come out of him. There's no foaming at the mouth here. And this is why I do believe that my assessment, my analytical look at scripture is correct, that there wasn't anything ostentatious or strenuous like about it, is because Jesus does turn up at some other points in the gospels and scripture notes it. He didn't like the behavior of some stanky Christians. Guess what? He flipped over tables. He was emotional and sad at Lazarus's funeral. He cried. He didn't like the hypocrisy and the hatred of the Pharisees. He called them a brood of vipers. This is Christian cuss words right there, right? So, but here, he just says the word. He says the phrase, get out. Shut up and get out. I don't believe that he screamed. I don't believe that he made all of this antics. It was simply the word spoken by the Son of God. Some translations say this, that Jesus silenced him. Jesus rebuked him. And my favorite, Jesus shut him up. In my mind's eye, Jesus had attitude because he's a G. He's like, shut up, shut up, be gone, get out. Jesus didn't need to prove his power. No, he is authority. He didn't have to work to get authority. In my mind's eye, Jesus just said, get out, get out. Can you do that? Can you say, get out? I want you to say it lower. Say, get out. I want you to say it lower. Say, get out. You have authority. 
to speak out against the spiritual warfare that the enemy is assigning to you. You don't need volume. You don't need to get crazy. You don't need to hang off of chandeliers and fall down foaming. You could just say, get out. You know where I have seen this power modeled in everyday life? My mother. She's a sweet, kind pastor's wife who's merciful and compassionate. She's slow to anger. She's this Puerto Rican pastor's wife who homeschooled five kids. She survived asthma and an ex-Marine as a husband. Like, she's a saint. She is sweet until the woman is sour, okay? Now, as a pastor's daughter, um, we would go different places, whether it's different churches or out to dinner or whatever, and we were taught, we were taught we had to behave. In fact, any, like, Latina mom out there that ever had, like, a paddle in her purse or a shoe that we refer to as a chancla, my mom carried it in her purse, all right? And so here's sweet pastor's wife, Millie, coming over to her ratchet kids saying, you guys better stop right now. <laughs> now, she said it with a smile, Gritted teeth, all sweet and kind. You better stop right now. And we knew that mama was serious. And if mama had to say it again, she would come over and my eyelashes would like singe off and she would be like, stop it right now. And my eyes would be like saucers. I'd be like, oh my God, what happened? Because there was authority in the breath of my mom. She knew, she knew the authority and the power that she had to set the wrong way right. You know what I'm saying? That's the way I see Jesus. He meant it. He didn't have to scream it. He said, get out. First John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I want us to get so comfortable with speaking to things of this world with power and authority. Because in John chapter 14, 12, Jesus says this, the things I have done, you will do and greater. Jesus just freed a man from demonic oppression. Don't forget the power that you have as a son and a daughter of the Most High King. And you can be sitting here thinking, I don't want to do demon possession. That's okay. Maybe the Lord hasn't called you to it. What has he called you to that you have not been able to step into because you want to be comfortable? This is something that I just don't want to preach about. It's something I want to practice. Every Sunday morning, I roll up here around 630. I go into the prayer room and I grab a little bottle of anointing oil. Oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit in the Old and New Testament. And I go to every single doorframe in this building. I go to every single entryway. I go to every single table in the living room. I go to every single kid's room, every single archway, even the men's bathroom and the women's bathroom. I go everywhere and I anoint each door in the sign of the cross because there is power in the name of Jesus. And I tell the enemy, get out. Not today, Satan. You have no authority here. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. People are going to find freedom today. People are going to have their marriages restored today. People are going to intercede for their children today. People are going to find salvation today. People are going to find their hope today. People are going to find their joy today. People are going to find their, their freedom in Christ today. And you think I'm going to sit here and be like, I don't know what the enemy is going to do. No, I'm going to say, devil, I send you back to hell where you belong. You have no room here. Get out. Get out. That's what I want for the people of God. It doesn't need to be ostentatious. I'm loud and ostentatious. You can do whatever you need to do in the way that God has called you to. But I want us to know, get out. And it's not just for other people. It's for ourselves. For me, I have to say, get out of my insecurities. Get out of my home. Get out of my marriage. Get out of my kids' lives. Get out. Get out of this church. Get out. What's your script? What do you need to tell the enemy? Look at verse 23. A man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. He let it go. 
He cried out. And I think that for many of us in here, we've been holding on and we're awakening even now to the spirits that have been tormenting us. When I talk about demon possession, I'm not talking about like you have demons on you. But I'm talking about the spirits that we walk in with. See, this man thought it was just another Sunday. But how long had the demon plagued him? How long had he gone about his life without even realizing that he had this thing that was weighing him down? But then Jesus shows up. Then the King of kings and the Lord of lords shows up. And then the Lamb of God shows up. And guess what? Demons tremble. When Jesus rolls up onto the scene, and no matter where you are coming from, or what time zone or country or continent you are joining us from, let me remind you today that there is power in the name of Jesus. And I don't want to make this about demon possession because it takes away from the authority of God. I am just asking this bigger question. Hey, what did you come in with today that you are not aware of? See, because in the ancient world, in the ancient world, they didn't have medical analysis like we have today. They didn't have CT scans. They didn't have MRI machines. And so a lot of things went diagnosed as demons. You had a long-term cough. It's a demon. You have a migraine. It's a demon. You have a seizure. It's definitely a demon. Everything was a demon. That's a demon. This is a demon. You're a demon. All, all this other stuff. Everything was a demon, right? And I, I, I want to be careful that we don't confuse demon possession with this passage. However, I, I kind of want to take this ancient understanding of demons and put, flip the script on it. With like, what are we walking into the house of God with? What are the spirits that we're walking around with that we don't even know? What did you come in here today that you've gotten so comfortable with that you don't even know it's tormenting you? Oh, the spirit of bitterness? God, I should have had that. And yet you have not given it to me. That's the spirit of bitterness. What about the spirit of jealousy? You gave him the promotion? I'm the better Christian. I should be getting the promotion. What about a spirit of judgment? Oh, they're going to come and go to church on Sunday. But I saw what they were doing on Friday on Instagram. <laughs> That's real judgment right there. What, what about a, a spirit of division? Oh, you love to gossip. You love to stir up trash. That's a spirit of division. What about a spirit of hatred? Oh, those black people. Oh, those white people. All those brown people, all those Asian people, what spirits have been tormenting us? What spirits have been vexing our soul? What spirits have been oppressing us? No. What spirits have you gotten so comfortable with that you don't even see anymore? You've been in the village of comfort, Kephernahum, with your demon. And let me tell you something. Jesus has come in here today to destroy the village of comfort because he has marked you. He has marked you. We don't have time to get into this right now, but if I had time, and maybe later on we can expound on this, that this was city was the work, uh, excuse me, this was the city of the greatest work that Jesus did, Capernaum. And yet we read in the book of Matthew that he cursed the city because their city became a self-fulfilling prophecy, the village of comfort. You just wanted comfort. You didn't want to change. You wanted the miracles without the miracle maker. So he, he is calling you into your calling and calling you out of your comfort. He's calling you into your calling by calling you out of your comfort. But many of us have gotten comfortable in our bitterness. We've gotten comfortable in our sadness. We got comfortable with our weed. Oh, but it's just edibles. We got comfortable with that guy or that girl that's satiating that sexual need. We got comfortable not with three glasses of wine. Now we're drinking the whole bottle. We have got comfortable. We've gotten comfortable going back to those people that just want to assage our ego and tell us how great we are without having to die to ourselves. We got real comfortable feeling like we're justified in our marriages. Oh, we, we are, we've gotten so comfortable 
We've gotten comfortable with our bigotry. We've gotten comfortable with our gossip. We've gotten comfortable with our, our prejudice. And Jesus is whispering these words today. Get out. Look at verse 24. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You know what trips me out? The demons knew who Jesus was while the people around him, the people in church, the church church, they didn't even see it. The demons are like, oh, snap, Jesus is here, the Son of God. Messiah has come to mess with us. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? They're, they're freaking out because the demons knew that it is the name of Jesus that caused every knee to bow and every tongue to confess. So whatever you've walked in here with today, God wants to confront those issues. He wants to remove the labels, and he wants to mark you as the person of potential that you absolutely are. When we counter Jesus, when we counter his power, when we counter his authority, his love, his grace, his kindness, his mercy, we are marked because John the Baptist went from a lunatic in the desert to a heralder of the king of kings, and the stanky fishermen turned disciples were world changers, and the demon-possessed man found his sanity and right-mindedness in the presence of Jesus and the leper. The leper was healed, and he went out to proclaim the good news of Jesus. I want us to know marked men and marked women is that I don't want us to get comfortable in darkness. I want us to get uncomfortable in the light, in the light of who God is. Friends, I hope you enjoyed this message. If you want to check out the full teaching series, you can go to the Father's House OC's YouTube page and check out all the teachings. I love you and Jesus loves you too.